Podcast. I am your host, Martin Devon, and this is the first episode. I am so excited. Like I shared um, in this episode, I am going to share my story. I am going to share my leadership journey in terms of like how I got here to where I'm at like today. And that's what this podcast is about. This podcast is about sharing vulnerable stories from men of color and allowing us to just really be free and hopefully learn um, from the stories that we hear. So let's begin with my story. So here we go. It's time for me to tell my story. I'm excited. I'm nervous. All at the same time. This is going to be fun, though. So my title for my story is called The Messy Truth. How lying helped me to become an authentic leader. And so I start off with my story really thinking about the word lie. So I looked up in a dictionary this morning, just really seeing, like, what are the definitions for liar and the definitions i received was to make an untrue statement with intent to deceive and then to create a false or misleading impression and when i thought about it i was like oh none of those definitions really fit why i lied or what i lied for and so i wanted to kind of really go through a discovery in a sense of really figuring out my version of the lie within my story. And so I knew from a very young age um, that I was born to be a leader. I always kind of felt it. I would see like videos that my mom would record, my mom and dad would record, and I was just very bossy. Um, And so... I recognized in that very early stage that, okay, leadership is just like what I'm going to do is is what I'm going to become. One of the things I also recognized, too, that at that young age, um, as I got older, a little bit um, around kindergarten, um, that I was a little bit different. Not only just, you know, being black, but I knew that I liked Tyrone and not Tasha. (laughs) And so recognizing that, at an early stage in life, it left me isolated. It left me a little bit confused. And it didn't leave me isolated and confused because my parents would say that, you know, queer was wrong or anybody in my family. Nobody ever said that. Like, that's kind of like the thing. It really led me to believe, what really led me to believe that being queer was wrong was that I didn't see any representation growing up. I knew at five years old, at that early age, that in all the books I read and everything that I saw, that men were with women. And so because I never saw a man with a man, a woman with a woman, it just never became natural to me. So just by like looking at... TV and society, I really went went against what I felt was natural and literally focused on what society said was natural. So I began to try to like women and like girls. 
And so on the playground, which was very interesting, where you kind of have all of these conversations, I began to figure out, oh, I need to like girls. I don't need to like guys. And what is that going to look like? So I tried to like girls at the best of my ability. And I think I did an okay job (laughs) because around when I was like seven years old, um, this one girl who I invited to my birthday that I had a huge crush on, it was at the park, of course, still, and even as a kid, I loved being outside and at the park, but she literally gave me a Lion King gift set with Pride Rock and all of these different things on it. And y'all know how much I honestly really, really love The Lion King. And so that meant a lot to me. And that's how that journey began. And I just tried to continue to figure out what would it look like for me to engage in something that I knew that was very unnatural for me. But according to society, this is the route that I was supposed to go. to hear slurs whether that was on the street in the neighborhood or even on tv so i knew that i had to hide being queer as much as i could i had to tuck it in that anything that was not like the norm must be tucked in and somewhat protected and it wasn't until my first bullying incident in elementary school that I recognized that I really couldn't hide it. And obviously there are some queer people that are passing and non-passing. And I believe for me, even at a young age, I was a non-passing queer person. And so I kind of got clocked. And so the situation happened. This is what what had happened was (laughs) I was an entrepreneur at heart. I've always grew up and always had some type of like little side hustle or business. Um, During the summertime in my neighborhood, I would sell toys and during the school year, I would make these puzzles out of cardboard. No joke. And I have to tell that story a little bit later. So I would sell these puzzle pieces. Um, But there was this one guy who was a student in my class um, and He literally was like making puzzles and, you know, even doing puzzles is gay. And I was like, what? And I tried to hold my composure for the rest of the school day. But when I got home, I cried my eyes out. I can still remember still to this day how much I cried, 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 cried. And just really, in a sense, didn't like myself. Because I knew that I was being clocked. When my dad got home, he saw that I was crying. And so they and so he asked me what I was crying for. I told him a story. And then he also asked if I was gay. And I told him no. Because even though I felt safe around my parents, 
I still knew that society wasn't willing to accept who I was. And so I even told somebody who I love, no, I wasn't. But one thing that my dad did for me was the next day he confronted my bully. He didn't beat him up or anything like that. But he did go to the school and had a conversation with the, the young boy who was bullying me. And he did it with care. He did not yell at this boy. He didn't do anything like that. My dad was a juvenile um, detention uh, boot camp sergeant. So I really believe that he learned some of those skills from his role and work of really working with juveniles who experience trauma in the past. And I think like he just kind of recognized that these situations and what, how kids show up is what they learn. So my dad found this is an opportunity to teach this kid. One other thing that I saw my dad do that I picked up on was he did it with a lot of comic relief. My dad is a comedian at heart, and I realized that that level of comedy really did allow this boy to be able to understand what he was doing. And so I never was bullied or picked on ever again um, at that school, at that elementary school. And I think it was partially due to my dad's conversation, but it was also due to the fact that I picked up being a comedian. I realized that laughing and telling jokes could be a way for me to hide my identity. So I was able to, in a sense, hide behind this laughter, like hide behind laughter, hide behind how people may perceive of me because I'm allowing them to laugh and tell jokes. And since they was laughing with me, I never thought that people were laughing at me. So I got really good at it. Another thing that I noticed too, with comedians, they had this level of sass and somewhat this level of femininity, right? So somebody who is non-passing queer person, obviously the reason why somebody say they're non-passing is because they have somewhat of a level of femininity. They say, okay, they must be gay. But comedians, many of them have this level of femininity as well, and nobody questioned them. And so I definitely lend myself into being a comedian. One of my favorites being Steve Harvey. One, he has the same cadence as me, uh, the same type of banter. Uh, he's from uh, Cleveland, Ohio, so we have like that same type of dialect. And he was hilarious. Still to this day, I love listening to Steve Harvey stand-up and how he tells stories. That storytelling literally became a tool and laughter and comic relief literally became a tool that helped me to survive. That's how I was able to literally make it by being funny. The louder the laugh, the more I wouldn't get clocked. And that's how I was able to survive K through 12th grade. Graduated from high school and I moved to Cincinnati for college. Absolutely loved the city, loved my college, but
But in my first quarter, I swear I could have got kicked out. It wasn't the only time. My senior almost kind of kind of got kicked out from activism. But I wasn't there yet. I was a joke in my first quarter at the university. I focused so much on trying to be liked. And I focused so much on telling jokes and being a joke. Um, and it was a new audience for me. So I felt like I had to, in a sense, win them over. Like how I did at my high school, where people stopped asking and people stopped questioning whether I was gay or not. And so at the university, I wanted to make sure that coming in, that I would create that barrier, that people would see me for laughter and not fully who I was as a person. And on top of that, I also knew that being the first black college student like in my family, I had to do it. Like I was the first one in my family to go to college, right? Like I just had to make it. And so leadership really propelled me to really think and take this part of my journey very serious. And so I got into leadership roles. And I knew also while getting into leadership roles that I couldn't be out. There were little to no queer leaders, black queer leaders on our campus. There was one, and he wasn't out, but I have to really give him his flowers because he was the one that gave me the blueprint really on how to navigate the campus and how to navigate leadership. And so I was able to do primarily all of the things that I wanted to do, and more specifically, activism, just really going hard for the black community by making sure that it was better than how I got there. And that we did. We did all of those things. But it was difficult. It was hard for me because was I my full authentic self? No. So that's something that I honestly continue to sometimes think about still to this day. How would it have been different if I was able to be a queer leader? Sometimes my friends from college or ask me why you didn't come out while you were in college. The truth and the honest to God truth is that if I did, would have would I have gotten all of the accolades and all of the leadership roles that I had received? I'm not sure. I'm not gonna say yes. I'm not gonna say no. But I will but what I did do and what and what I do know is that because of that activism, I wanted to continue along that journey. So I became a teacher. I enrolled into a teaching program, and it allowed me to move to Charlotte, North Carolina, where I was going to be teaching middle school English language arts, scared shitless, but I was ready to take on the task of being a teacher, and yeah, it really gave me the opportunity to think about how I wanted to show up in the world. I got a shout out 
all of my first year teachers because regardless of your background and your experience, your first year is going to be hard. It's going to be a little bit difficult, right? And it's the people that surround you that help you to really lift you up and make sure that that experience doesn't really, really weigh you down. But in my first year, I struggled mentally. And it wasn't because of my kids. It wasn't because of the curriculum. It wasn't because of the school. It was simply because I felt like that I was living my life a lie. It's interesting because students have a way of bringing this true, authentic version of who you are out. And then being an English teacher, you also have these books that you're reading where people like the other West Moore. That's one of the books we read in the class. Like, it's interesting because like, you know, you get all of these different stories where they're just bringing their full, true, authentic selves. And that forces you to look back at yourself and figure out and discover who am I? Who do I want to be? And so at this time and at this point, I felt it was a need to invite people into my life. And I love the term inviting in because it centers the person. It centers the fact that they are normal. And y'all are just now getting to meet me. But I've been here this whole time. I also believe that everyone has an inviting in moment when they truly decide that actually I want the world to know who I really am. And so being queer, hiding sexual sexual identity or even gender is not the only thing that people are hiding that's preventing them from being seen. So we have to ask ourselves that question. So in my journey, while I was teaching, I invited a couple of friends to know who I was. And if they didn't like it, I was going to invite them out. (laughs) I'm like, nah, y'all can't stay. And that gave me agency to really, really go harder in my classroom. Because though, no, I wasn't publicly out and I didn't tell my students, I had this space with my friends that allowed me to be my full and true authentic self, allowed me to question myself and be real with who I was. And so... I was able to handle student situations a little bit differently and almost even with more care. It was at the time while I was teaching that there were a lot of black men who were killed by police officers, unarmed black men at that killed by police officers. And it started my students, specifically the one that had happened in Charlotte and more specifically my boys of color. So I started an after school program to support boys of color called the Brotherhood. And it really, really helped me to see them in their true light. And they were able to share their stories. And I shared my stories, the ones that I felt at the time that was my most authentic self. And it was great. One of the things I also found out was that I was their first black male teacher. After hearing that there were only 2% of black male teachers naturally, my students and I in the program, we began to start a campaign to discuss the need to increase more black male teachers and it worked it really really did work and from that unbeknownst to me it pushed 
me to start my own business. Again, I was already an entrepreneur at heart. And so I got into nonprofit work to be able to solve this very issue. organization i thought maybe at 30 that it would happen but at 24 years old my business partner and i both were super super young and we had so much to learn about so much to discover and we would spend nights doing amazing work together trying to figure out what would this organization look like and imagining a world that would be different and in that world of imagining i had to look inside of myself and really look inside of my own heart and recognize that within my own leadership that I wasn't really living the unimaginable. The unimaginable for me was that I never saw a black queer leader. And so I reflected on my experience while at my university and I kind of noticed how yeah, I did so many things for the black community. But what type of representation did I really do for black queer people? And I used to think about that all the time. And so with this role, I really, really wanted to make sure that I was showing up as my full, authentic self. I wanted to just simply, simply be who I am and just lead with that. And so I invited my co-business partner in then I eventually invited friends and family in and then I invited the public and it felt good to finally to finally like just show up as me but unfortunately what ends up happening when you invite the public in some folks come in that you don't want to be and you got to figure that out And so there were folks that did not want me to be this queer leader leading this organization. Um, And they thought, like, how can he actually do it? And so I knew one of the best things for me to do, which I learned at my university, was to build a team. And I wasn't just going to build any team. I was going to build a team of misfits. One thing I love about this team of 30 coaches, oh my God, is that they all had a past. They all had things that they regret and things that just didn't fit into the box of who they are today. I have folks that spent days in jail. I have folks that got fired. I have folks that just would have done the unimaginable. And they would tell us these things through these stories that we would have at our retreats with these coaches. And that's the team that I had. And the way that I were able, was able to retrieve them was through this tough, rigorous application process that I had created. I didn't want anybody that was on a straight and narrow path. If you couldn't tell your story from this deep-rooted 
thing, then I, I was like, okay, no, nah, nah, we can't have you. Like, we need those folks who are interested in doing this work, who is ready, who may not even have a plan B, you know, and we did our thing. But unfortunately, having misfits on a team comes with a lot of challenges, not internally, but externally. There were people that doubted, like, wait, so why would you hire him? Or why is this person on your team? And, you know, that justifying was crazy for me. And so behind the scenes, you know, I relied on data and I would just show folks the numbers. And when they saw the numbers, they shut the fuck up. They just shut up. And that's why I was so big in numbers with like my team. Honestly, I made sure that they always completed their data and we celebrated each other. Even if our dad, like one coach's data wasn't the same as another coach's data, that coach would still celebrate them because that's just who we were. That's how we wanted to be, you know? And so together, collectively, we were able to retain 98% of male educators of color around the country. Over 90% of the folks that we were supporting love, love, love our coaches, right? And so that was the beauty of it. And, and even after the retreats, we would do two retreats a year, and even after the retreats, guys would come together over the summertime and they would also come together, uh, you know, to meet family members. And we had so many babies <laughs> that were born at that time and stuff. Uh, and we just loved each other. We did male baby showers and all of these type of things that really build the group in and really show the world that we could be different. And they literally single-handedly changed the game of what it meant to be an educator and what it looks like to be an educator. I honestly believe that those 30 coaches had a huge part to play and why the education landscape is different still to this day. It also awarded us with Forbes under 30 for me and my business partner. And even with that, I wanted to show up as my full and authentic self. And because of that, that did come with its challenges. I was not ready for those challenges to come. And, and that meant I had to cross my T's and dot every I. I had to do every single thing right in order to make it. And because of that, I still wrestled with being a black queer leader. And I had to figure out what I was going to do. So I served in the organization I started for about seven to eight years. And it was in my last year that I experienced a great deal of homophobia. And it was really, really embarrassing for me because how can someone who is queer start an organization but experience homophobia as a leader. And I think society, in a sense, wasn't ready for black queer leaders to lead a major nonprofit organization. So because of that, I got so many slurs from folks and different people. And one that kind of hit me the most was that how my identity might be serving as a distraction 
And the reason why it hit me the most is not because of somebody saying that, but because I felt that myself. I felt in my own heart that perhaps that my queer identity was serving as a distraction. And so I wrestled with the idea of what it would look like for me to not be here. I wrestled with the idea of what it looks like for me to take my own life. So I had suicide ideation. And I knew that in a sense that perhaps this organization can thrive and be better if the distraction was not there. And so the comment only fed into this understanding and realization that I had for myself. That also led me to go into the behavior health center because I really needed the mental health support. And unfortunately, in the mental health industry, they said that one, if I needed to have something literally immediately, that it would that it would take six to seven months to even get services. But I knew something wasn't right with me in a sense that I recognized that my journey to becoming a black queer leader, I didn't have that support. I didn't have what I needed. And so me serving in the role that I was in no longer was healthy for me. It was no longer safe safe for me to be where I was currently at. And therefore, I had to leave. And I left. And unfortunately, the other coaches, majority of them left as well. Because they no longer felt safe. And we had to have this real conversation and a sense around when we built something so dynamic and unique that was so different than how the world painted men of color or said the way they were supposed to look like, how could that crumble down? I think partially it is having the support that's needed to make sure that it stays up and really challenging the norm for that thing to stay to stay up. And I knew one of the things that got really, really help with that is coaching. When I received my coach, it helped me to stand upright. It helped me to do the things that I needed to do. And so I left to become a mindfulness leadership coach. I wanted to support other leaders like myself who was interested in doing this type of work and was interested in doing it differently, but didn't necessarily feel like that they have that support. So I love coaching leaders. And I used the mindfulness from the work that I was doing with our coaches, which was pretty, pretty dope. Because, yeah, I helped them with with mindfulness but oftentimes when you're teaching and you're facilitating mindfulness, you can't use it. It's hard for you to do it for yourself. And so I was able to sit in my home and just listen to waterfalling and 
grow my plants and really recover with mindfulness. And that felt good. That felt awesome. And I needed that to be able to grow and develop. And so I, again, I became a mindfulness leadership coach. And then I also became a mindfulness consultant to help people build their teams and to build team culture through mindfulness to decrease that burnout. I was able to retain 98% of my team annually. So 98 and 98, 98 was a good number for me. I was able to retain 98% of my team annually while I was there. And it literally felt so good because we used mindfulness and just being present to just help us to just fully show up. And then I also wanted to create a safe space because I knew that safety is important for black leaders, specifically black queer leaders, for men of color in general, for people of color, for women. So I designed Messy Roots as a leadership and wellness community for men of color because we needed to support each other. In order for us to do something differently, somebody has to be holding us up and holding this thing up. And I know that I received that when I left. So many people I could thank for holding me up and lifting me up. And so the truth is this. The definition for lie didn't work for me because I didn't lie out of deception when I or deceiving when I chose to literally withhold me telling and sharing that I am this queer person and want to be this queer leader. In fact, I think it was just a pause. And when I look at the other definitions for lie, it means to just stay right there, just to just stay right there. And sometimes this version of lie is just, I just need to just stay right here so that therefore then I can balloon into something that I was meant to be so that I can be this authentic leader and that I can have the resources that I needed in order to grow. And I don't know if it would have been different if I had the opportunity to be my full self while growing up. Would it be like this still to this day? So I'm grateful for everything that I've been through and not blaming or holding anyone accountable but myself for continuing to recognize and focus on what did I learn from this and what can I learn from this? And that was the best thing that I could do for myself. And so I'm here to allow everyone to know that you could do this and that you could shine. And that we all have an inviting in story. We all have an inviting in message. What is yours going to be?
just heard my story, this amazing story that I just felt like I, I just needed to just get it off of my chest and just grow and just develop. But let's go ahead on and just take five minutes just, just, just to do a meditation on just us and inviting in. And what do we want to be true for ourselves? So let's have both feet planted on the floor. Let's just get into that meditative state. And let's just focus. Let's take three collective breaths to really center ourselves in this meditation. So inhale through your nose. And exhale out of your mouth. Second one, inhale through your nose. And exhale out of your mouth. And last one, inhale through your nose. And exhale out of your mouth. I want you to continue to keep on breathing. I want you to just focus to be in this moment. I want you to invite yourself in to yourself. Allow yourself to meet self. And ponder with this question. Am I? Who am I? Just rest in that. Who am I? And now I want you to focus on who do you want to be externally. There are some things internally internally that you want to just keep, and that's totally fine. How can you invite people in? to experience this new version of you that has already been here, was already there. I want you to really think about what specifically do you want people to see you as specifically and live in that. Now I want you to think about who are those people that you want to invite in? Who are those folks that you want to invite in? Who are those folks that make you feel safe? Who can hold you up? On the last breath, we'll open up our eyes. Welcome this more authentic version of ourselves. Let's inhale through our nose. And let's exhale out of our mouth. 
second. Let's inhale through our nose. And let's exhale out of our mouth. And last one, let's inhale through our nose. And let's exhale out of our mouth. And open up your eyes. I love y'all for free. Continue to follow me, Marjavon, Marjavon.com, as well as MessyRoots.org. See you all next time. Thank you.